Over the next four Sabbaths, I want to put before you four challenges that I hope you will embrace for your life for 2019. At the beginning of each new year, no one is surprised by this. We set goals or, and or resolutions. And today I want to put a challenge before you to achieve both a goal and a resolution. A goal, of course, is something that is very specific, a specific thing you want to achieve. We're going to achieve this task. I want to lose 25 pounds in 2019, or I want to run a marathon in 2019. I want to read my Bible through in 2019. A resolution, on the other hand, is, is really the plan that gets you to accomplish that goal. I'm going to change some aspect of my life, so I'm going to make a resolution to, to reorder my life in order to reach that goal. If you want to lose 25 pounds or run a marathon, then, then you have to make decisions and reorder your life in some way so that you can exercise more. If you want to read the Bible, maybe you need to, through in 2019, maybe you need to, to reorder your life so that you go to bed earlier and have uh, the ability to get up a little bit earlier to have a little more time to read your Bible. We want a goal and a resolution. And so I'm going to put before you each of the next four Sabbaths, including the next, today and the next three Sabbaths, uh, a goal and a resolution. And hopefully uh, we can leave this month committed to four new goals and res resolutions or maybe recommitted to taking these same goals and resolutions even farther. With that, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of John. Chapter 1, as we look at the first challenge for today. And while you are turning there to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, while you are turning there, I'm going to tell you the goal that I hope you will embrace this year in connection with this sermon. And here's your goal that I hope that you will accept and, and make this a part of your daily prayer life. Lord, help me to achieve this goal. This is the goal, that this year you will play a specific role, you individually will play a specific role in helping to bring one person to Jesus. This year, everybody in this room will, will, will play a specific role in helping to bring one person to Jesus. And the resolution to help you with that goal is to accept today's challenge, which we'll explore right now. In John chapter one, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. And just to give you a little bit of context, just before verse 35, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who is also the forerunner of Jesus, who was to, to prepare the way for the Messiah, he's baptized Jesus. And when he baptized Jesus, God spoke to him and, and said to him, this is my beloved son. And, and John sees this dove fall upon Jesus and realizes that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And he shares this testimony with some of his followers. And his followers are moved and touched by this. And the next day, John is again with a couple of his followers. And that's where we'll pick up the text in John chapter 1 and verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, verse 36. And looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. This is a direct statement of this is the Messiah. He declared to these two men that were with him, this is the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God. And such a testimony by John, who these two men looked up to, had a huge impact on 
these individuals. And the Bible tells us in verses 37 through 39 that, that it moved them to such an extent that they began to follow Jesus. And they asked Jesus, where are you going? And he said, follow me and you'll see. And so they began to follow him and they spent that day with him and that evening with him. And then in verse 40, we are introduced to one of these two disciples that follow Jesus. We are also in this text introduced to my favorite disciple. Verse 40 of John chapter 1. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. For many people, Peter is their, if they had to choose a favorite disciple, like you choose a favorite superhero, Peter would be their favorite disciple. Of course, he was a disciple that went on to great renown and definitely was one of the key leaders amongst the disciples. He's also someone that many of us can relate to. There's things about Peter that I can relate to. Maybe some of you can relate to as well. I don't know if any of you can relate to speaking before thinking. I can relate to that, and that is uh, uh, Peter, the disciple Peter. Some of you may be able to relate to his, his temper a little bit, and, and I can relate to that a bit as, as well. Even some of his things that led him into betrayal, his, his fear, his shame. Those are things that we can relate to, all, to these things. All these things, all these aspects of Peter, I relate to. Yet Peter is not my favorite disciple that is introduced in this text. My favorite disciple is the one that is not known by his own name. But there's always a descriptor along with his name. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. Maybe some of you have that experience in your life. You've been introduced a lot as this is so-and-so, so-and-so's son or daughter, or this is so-and-so the wife of or the spouse of, if you, if you, or the husband of. If you've experienced that, I see a couple of you nodding, and this annoys you, you can relate to Andrew, because that's how Andrew is often described in the Bible, not even known by his own name. It's always Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. But here is why Andrew is my favorite disciple. It is in verse 41. The Bible has told us in verses 37 through 39, these two disciples spent some time with Jesus, that day with Jesus. And then the Bible tells us that the next day, the Bible tells us the first thing Andrew did in verse 41 was to find his brother Simon, that's Simon Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. Verse 42, and he brought Peter to Jesus. Spends a day with Jesus and he says, this is the Messiah, and he brings Peter to Jesus. I love Andrew. Andrew is my favorite disciple, which is why today the first challenge I want to put before you is this. I want to challenge you in 2019 to make a resolution to be an Andrew. To be an Andrew. There are four stories that, that are specifically uh, centered around Andrew, in which Andrew is one of the key characters in the New Testament. Four stories in the New Testament in which Andrew is one of the key characters. And three of the stories have very similar themes. We looked at the first of these three stories in which, in which Andrew spends a day with Jesus and then goes and gets his brother and brings him to Jesus. But we're going to look at the next two now. The next one, stay in the same book, is in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And John chapter 6 begins with the story of Jesus 
uh, performing the amazing miracle of feeding 5,000 plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And we are told in John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, that Jesus, when he sees all the people, he first goes to the disciple Philip. And just kind of to, to see where Philip's faith is at, he asks Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? And, and the Bible tells us that Philip uh, gives a very practical and, and pragmatic answer. Philip answered him and said in verse 7 of John chapter 6, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. But then steps in my disciple hero, verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, there it is, that descriptor again, can't go by his own name, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? There's a crisis, there's a situation. Philip gives a very practical answer. Andrew says, well, here's a kid I can bring to you, Jesus, and I don't know how he can help, but maybe you can do something with it. The story goes on to tell us that Jesus took those five loaves and two fish. He prayed over them. He divided them up. And not only did the people have more than a bite to eat, as Philip declared they would have if they had half a year's wages, but the people ate until they were full and the disciples had leftovers. That's story number two about Andrew. Andrew brings his brother to Jesus. Andrew brings a young boy to Jesus. And the third story that has a similar theme in my mind in the scriptures is from John chapter 12. Stay in the same book. John chapter 12 and beginning in verse 20. John chapter 12 beginning in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. These are probably uh, Greeks that had converted to Judaism. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. They, we, we learn from, as we continue to read in the scriptures here, that they had some questions, some things that they wanted to, to learn about Jesus. So they asked, we would like to see Jesus. But the, the verse that, that is so interesting to me is the next one, verse 22 of John chapter 12. Philip went to tell Andrew. And then the Bible says, Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Some people come to Philip and say, we want to know more about Jesus. We want to connect to Jesus. Philip goes and tells Andrew, but Andrew says, let's go to Jesus. Three stories. Here, brother, let me take you to Jesus. Little boy, let me take you to Jesus. Greeks, let me take you to Jesus. Three stories about Andrew, my favorite disciple. Before I give you a couple of practical points about this resolution that, that I hope all of us will make, I want you to answer a question and it is based on what I see happening in the life of Andrew. Two questions that were in the mind of every Jewish individual that, that lived at that time, two questions that were, were in the mind of, of, of all of the Israelites that lived at that time. One was, when will the Messiah come? And the second one is, who will the Messiah be? If you read history and you see some things, mothers would pray that their child would be the chosen one, that their child would be the Messiah. This would have been Andrew's question in his heart. Who is the Messiah? When will he come? This would have been Peter's question too. Andrew spends some time with Jesus and he sees the answer in Jesus. He sees that the question that, that he has of who is the Messiah, that the answer is 
Jesus. And so rather than keeping that answer to himself, he goes to his brother and he says, I know you have this same question. Let me take you to the answer, Jesus. So Andrew brings Peter to the answer. Jesus to Philip, how will we feed all these people? A pragmatic answer is given. But Andrew speaks up and says, Jesus, I have a kid here with lunch. I don't know what to do in this, in this dilemma, but I'm bringing him to you because I trust that Jesus, you have the answer. You are the answer. The Greeks want to meet Jesus. Philip doesn't bring the Greeks to Jesus, though he brings them to Andrew. And Andrew says, let's go take them directly to Jesus. If they have questions about Jesus, let's just take them directly to Jesus. And he introduces them to Jesus. Jesus was the answer to their desire. I'm about to ask you a question, though. I want to ask you a question. Now, many of you, if not all of you, were, were raised probably around Christian homes, so you can give a quick and a snappy response to this question. You know the right answer to this question. But, but I don't want a quick and snappy response. I want you to, to really ponder it in your heart and really think about it. Because you see, this, this, the answer to the question that I'm about to ask you is, is not only related to the challenge that I put before you today to be an Andrew, but it goes much deeper than that, which is why I want you to, to think about it more than just giving a quick response. You see, because the answer to this question reflects yours and my very Christian existence. If we are, in fact, true Christian followers. So here's the question. The question is this. Do you believe Jesus to be your ultimate answer in every area of your life? Just repeat that in your brain. Think about it. Is Jesus the ultimate answer? When you look at your life and the questions that you have in your life and the struggles that you have in your life, is Jesus the ultimate answer for everything in your life? your life. I say that this question is not just essential for the challenge, but I put it before you because it is essential for who we are as Christians because John told us in John chapter, or Jesus told us in John chapter 14 and verse 6, the text that we read today. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to get to the Father. You want to have that relationship with the Father. You want to know about eternity. How do you get there? Jesus says, I'm the only answer. Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, the Bible tells us Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by mankind by which we must be saved. What's the answer to salvation? How, how are we saved? How do we walk with Jesus? Is it this way or this way? No, it is Jesus and Jesus alone. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, he said, they are yes in Christ. God, will you provide for my needs? You promise you'll provide for my needs. What's the answer? Yes, in Jesus. Will you, take, will you walk me through this, this dark valley? You promise to be with me as I go through the valley of the shadow of death. Can I trust that promise? The answer is yes, only in Christ Jesus. The answer to all God's promises are only found as yes in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The amen simply means that we say, so let it be. 
All God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. Therefore, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So let it be, God. We trust the answer, Jesus. Just by the way, that's why it's good to think about when we actually say amen or not. I've been in churches before in which a preacher has said, and all these people are going to be lost. And people go, amen. I'm like, no, 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 let's not, let's not, let's not let that be. Let's, let's try to change that up a little bit. So be mindful of how you say amen and when you say amen, actually. All these scriptures, though, and so many more tell me that as a Christian, this is a fundamental belief that I must hold, that Jesus is the final and the ultimate answer for my life. And if Jesus is the final and the ultimate answer for my life, then I believe he is also the final and the ultimate answer for your life and for every life in this world. That is what I believe Andrew understood, and this is why he is my favorite disciple. This is why this question is essential for our challenge, for this petition I put before you today, to be an Andrew. Being an Andrew means bringing people to Jesus, knowing that not only is he the best answer for you, but he's the best answer for every person that you engage with every single day in your life. All the people that you work with, the best answer for their life is Jesus. Every person that is in your neighborhood, the best answer for their life is Jesus. Every person that you meet at the bank or at the gas station or, or, or at your school, every single person, the best answer for their life is Jesus, period. Every Peter, every boy with a lunch, and every Greek, they need the same answer, Jesus. We can give a lot of answers. We can do a lot of things. But the ultimate answer is always Jesus. Being a socially conscious church is back in vogue, something that I am personally pleased about. I'm a proponent of being a socially engaged and a socially conscious church. Speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Representing, representing those and speaking against the, the things of this world that, are, that are undermine the values that we believe in as Christians. But I worry sometimes that if a, a church is, is feeding the homeless or giving money to the destitute or speaking up for the causes of others, but never actually bringing people to Jesus, they are just providing a placebo for a dying cancer patient. That's all they're doing. I love beautiful worship. Man, Stephen's song and Jeremy playing just move my heart. I love great worship, and, and organized worship is, is, is one of my extreme joys. Have everything just flow and fit together in place. But I worry that if there are a group of people that are always gathering in the name of Jesus, but never inviting anybody in the name of Jesus, they are just really entertaining themselves right into irrelevance. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 declares this, the wages of sin is death. And Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you put those two texts together, that means that there is a terminal death sentence over the entire world. Over the entire world. And all the socially just causes that we support and give to, and all the excellent gatherings that we participate in, even those that we do so in the name of Jesus, will ultimately be of no value if we never provide the opportunity for someone to say yes to Jesus. For someone to have the answer to the deepest question 
in their hearts. People have something inside of them that, that, that they know there's something empty there. They know there's a terminal diagnosis. What, what's the point of this life? What's the point of this world? What's the point of this future? They know that question. They've sensed that question in their mind. And the only answer is Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but, and the greatest but in all the Bible, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The only answer, the only answer is Jesus. For you and for the world. And so I submit the challenge to you again. Will you be an Andrew? Will you invite people to come and connect with Jesus, whether around your dinner table in your own home, whether at work or, 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 or bringing them here to church? Will you be an Andrew? Will you accept that, that resolution in your life and that goal to this year, God, I'm going to pray for one person. I know it feels like I should land the plane, but I have a few more minutes, so I'm going to keep going and give you a couple of practical points. So just hang with me. Sit up straight if you're falling asleep. Three practical thoughts just from the life of Andrew really quick to help you hopefully with this resolution in your life. And these are all from Andrew's story. Practical point number one. Be like Andrew, start with people who you know. Start with someone you know. That's the best place to start, inviting people to connect with Jesus. Start with someone you know. Maybe someone that used to attend here that doesn't attend anymore. Start with them. Start with a family member that maybe lives in the area. Start with a classmate or a coworker or a neighbor, someone you're connected to. Start with someone you know and invite them first. I mentioned from the front before this stat, but it is worth repeating. It is one of the most heartbreaking statistics that is out there. It is this. Seven out of ten of our young people will leave and walk away not only from the church, but the things of God between the ages of 18 and 22. Seven out of ten. It's been researched over and over and over again. It's a horrific, horrific stat. It breaks my heart. But a stat that's not mentioned nearly as much or not reported nearly as much and maybe there's a reason it's not reported maybe because this this statistic takes some personal responsibility on our own part where we have to look and say well what are we doing but another stat is this according to Tom Rainer 67% of those that leave say they would likely come back if someone just invited them and they did a study of 394 young adults that had left Jesus, left his church, and, and gone away, but, they, but they'd come back, and they said to these young adults, these 394 young adults, what brought you back? 39% of them reported that the thing that brought them back was because their parents or another close family member invited them. So parents, don't think you ever lose your influence, no matter how old your kids are. 39% said that, that their parents or another close family member invited them back. And 21% of the 394 said they returned after a friend or an acquaintance encouraged them to do so. In other words, 50% of those that came back to Jesus did so because someone they knew invited them back. Just invited them back. Quick personal testimony. Last Sabbath, I was in Ohio we were in Ohio for Christmas to see my sisters and their families. And every time I'm back in Ohio, I go to my old church, the Kettering Church. And every time I go to the Kettering Church, I contact one of my best friends who's been one of my best friends for 25 years. And I invite him and his family to join me for church. 
Every single time, no matter what, the answer I'm usually that I'm expecting that I, that I get, hey, I think we'll see you after church, or I'll see you Saturday night, or we already have some other plans so we can't be there, uh, but thanks. Six, seven, eight, nine times that I've been back there over the last several years, this is the answer I get. It's fine, whatever. He called me up. I was at Panera. I was doing some work at a Panera in Ohio, just outside of Dayton, and, and uh, doing some work, some church stuff, and... and typing away and he called me up to talk about, hey, when are we gonna get together and what are we gonna do and da 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 da. So we were talking about all of this and I do as I always do. At the end of it, I said, hey, so do you wanna come to church with me on Sabbath, I'll be at Kettering? And he said, maybe, let me think about it. In case you didn't get that when my voice broke there, puberty. Maybe, let me think about it. I am only 40, so for a couple more weeks. Maybe let me think about it. So I said, okay, and we talked a little bit more and then hung up the phone. So Friday night, I sent him a text. Church, question mark, yes or no, question mark. Guess who was sitting in church with me, Sabbath? Now, I don't know if that's going to lead anywhere. He seemed to enjoy himself. I don't know if he's going to go back when I'm not there. I don't know if he'll accept my, my next invitation. But what I do know is if the first time he said no, I stopped inviting, he would not have been there this last Sabbath. And what I also know and what I also believe is that the answer, that his life in every way will be better, in every aspect of his life will be better with Jesus in it. And so I will keep on inviting because I believe that with all my heart. Invite. Don't nag. Don't, don't scold. Hey, you want to go to church with me? Normally he says no. This time he said, maybe. Church, question mark? Yes or no? Question mark. He wrote back, what time? I gave him the time. He said, we'll see. And then he was there. Praise God. Just invite. Practical point number one. Invite those that you know and that you are close to. That you are close to. Practical point number two. The second story related to Andrew centered around a food crisis. Philip was given the opportunity to provide an answer, and he gave a very sensible and pragmatic answer. Sometimes when people are going through crisis, this is what we, we do first. We try to give a very sensible and pragmatic answer to try to help them through that moment. But Andrew's answer, it was not sensible, nor practical, nor pragmatic, but he did the best thing. In the midst of this crisis, he moves someone in the direction of Jesus who is the one with all the answers. Rhonda was raised going to church, but it was never her thing, and her parents didn't really push it on her. So by the time she was 16, she was thoroughly checked out from all things related to Jesus and all things related to the church. And she had no bitterness towards God. She wasn't one of these ones that, uh, one of these individuals that had a bad experience with the church. She had no bitterness towards God. She had no bitterness towards the church. She just saw Jesus and the church and all these things as something that you could, you could take it or leave it. And she chose to leave it. That was her, that was her thing. You know what? I don't care what people do, but I, take it or leave it, I'm, I'm leaving it. Rhonda went to college, she got out of college, and she moved to Southern California for a job. She met a guy there, they began to date, he proposed, she said yes, they got engaged, they set a wedding date, they began to plan this wedding. One day they were making wedding plans, and the next day 
he comes to her and he says, I can't go through with it, and she never saw him again. Just like that, boom. She was devastated. Her heart and life were in crisis. She still doesn't know why he left. He never gave an explanation. He just said, I'm done, and he disappeared. She never saw him again. That was it. But her whole life was just devastated. Natalie, a co-worker of Rhonda's, saw, seeing her friend's devastation, asked Rhonda if she could pray with her. And Natalie prayed for her. And Rhonda, in that simple moment of Natalie praying for Jesus to be with her and to comfort her, realized that she liked being around Christian friends. And that was it. Shortly thereafter, she went to a church, and now she is a fully committed follower of Jesus. And now she doesn't understand how she ever lived life without Jesus. Practical point number two. When someone is in crisis, and all of us run into people various points along the way that are in crisis at some point or another, be like Natalie and wear your faith on your sleeve. In the crisis, don't be afraid to mention Jesus and to, and to share Jesus and to, to talk about the hope that we have in Jesus. Rhonda's in crisis. Natalie says, can I pray with you? That might seem very pragmatic to someone who isn't a believer. But it did something in her heart. Getting people in crisis moving in the right direction towards Jesus is good for them. And finally, practical point number three. If you are a follower of Jesus, people will eventually ask you questions. If you're living a, a Christian life, people will eventually ask you questions. Sometimes those, they'll ask for those questions because they specifically do want to know about Jesus. Other times they'll ask those questions not really realizing why they're asking those questions. Don't shy away from these moments. Don't dodge these moments. Don't, don't try to rationalize maybe the way you believe or why you believe it, but simply point people back to Jesus over and over and over again. Some years past, my dad and I were flying across country, and my dad doesn't fly anymore, so this must have been a number of years ago. But we were flying across country, and we were on a late flight, and I remember we were, we were, it was a cross-country flight, and we were sitting back towards the galley. And the flight attendant, we, I was chatting back and forth with the flight attendant, my dad was as well, and we were chatting with this flight attendant. And over the course of time, we found out that she was from San Bernardino, California. And when I found out she was from San Bernardino, California, I said to her, oh, do you know of Loma Linda? And she said, yeah. I said, well, we used to live in Loma Linda. She asked me an immediate question. Are you an Adventist? And I said, yes, we are. Are you? And she goes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and she walked away. She went and started doing her duties and doing her thing. And she was up a little ways, and she walked back from her cart. And as she was walking back from her cart to get something back at the galley, she paused at my seat, and she had a second question for me. She said, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, why are you drinking Coke? Aren't you not allowed to have caffeine? <laughs> and my dad immediately tries to defend me. My dad goes, uh, well, you know, we have a long drive after our flight lands. And I go, no, no, Dad, it's okay. It's a good question. It's a good question. And after all, I did drink Coke, and I'm going to talk more about that in another sermon, so you don't want to miss the sermon coming up. <laughs> Make sure you record it for Dr. Landless right here. But I, but I... I said, I said, you know, it's not that we're not allowed to not, or it's not that about allowance. 
There are people that choose not to drink caffeine because we want our bodies to be in the best possible shape that we can to be the best possible servants for Jesus that we can. And she goes, okay. And she walked on her way. And she left at that. She finished all her duties. And she comes, and there was an open seat by my dad and I, and she plops down right in that seat. And she begins to pepper me with all these questions. All these questions. Well, I heard you don't do this. All right. Every single time, you know what I said to her? You're right, and here's why, Jesus. You're right, and here's why, Jesus. You're right, and here's why, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I didn't shy away from any of the things. I didn't, I didn't blush at them. If you talk different, if you live different, if you act different, hopefully people will ask you questions. Use those as opportunities to say, let me tell you about the answer. Jesus. Jesus. Practical point number three, take every opportunity when a question is asked to give people the reason for the hope that you have, Jesus Christ. Three practical points to be Andrews in 2019, to, set, to meet that goal of, of bringing one person to Jesus. I'm not asking you to bring 10 or 20 or 30, one. You playing a practical role in bringing one person to Jesus in 2019. Every single one of us can do this. Start with someone you know. Reach out to someone you know. In crisis, wear your faith on your sleeve and be bold, trusting Jesus is the best answer in every situation. And number three, live in such a way that people ask you questions and when they ask you those questions and in those moments, Make sure you always mention Jesus, the greatest answer to every question. Those three practical points. So will you accept this challenge to be an Andrew? On your connection card, if you have, if someone, if God's maybe placed a name already on your heart or mind, then go ahead and write that name down. I'm going to put a list together of all the people that you're praying for, that you're wanting to engage, and I'm going to start praying for those. I'm going to get some of our elders that are on our prayer team to be praying for those names. If you think of a name later in the week, you can send me that name, or throughout the year, send me that name. But I want us to be praying for these individuals that you're going to be reaching out to. And I want you to know that I'll be praying for you as well, and for myself as well, that all of us will be Andrews. Because like Andrew, I believe with all my heart that the greatest thing that can ever happen in someone's life is if they are brought to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, in your name, I pray that every heart in this room will be convicted to bring people to you. And because of this, may we have the privilege of seeing people's lives changed for eternity because you are the ultimate answer. And I pray this, asking in faith, but trusting that you, as the answer, will fulfill the promise that if you are lifted up, you will draw all men unto you. We pray this to the amen and amen.